0: It's time for your NBA Daily Assist. Now, here's Chris Mannix on 97.5 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network.
1: Of course, senior writer at Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix, with us back on the big show. Hi, Chris. Thanks for joining us again this year. How are you? What's going on, guys? Hey, we're doing great, and uh, thanks for Fitness In. Of course, you've been uh, very vi- busy today filling in on uh, big time national shows.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm about uh, three hours from flying to Vegas now to go to uh, the Canelo Alvarez fight, so never stops. Well, let me ask you
1: this, Chris. I just asked David, who Gordon's a little under the weather today, so our friend David James is filling in, but has anything really jumped out at you? I know the NBA season is so young, and maybe the answer is nothing, but has anything really jumped out at you thus far?
2: Well, I, I heard the what you said about the Clippers, and I agree with that. I came into this season thinking that you know, there was a lot of league-wide parity. And and that may still be the case. Uh, But I do think that the Clippers, what I've seen early, especially since they've been doing it without Paul George, I just think they're a cut above everybody else. I mean, the, the transition that Kawhi has made into that lineup has looked relatively seamless. They are so, so good defensively and can be even better when Paul George is back. They can switch on virtually everything their bench is terrific, especially when it's Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, I think, are going to compete for the Sixth Man of the Year award. And I think come February, they're going to be an extremely attractive buyout destination for some kind of big man who finds his way on the open market. So, I look, I, I think it's, it's definitely more competitive than we've seen before. There is no super team, but the Clippers are the closest thing to it, and not by virtue of stars, but by virtue of their top two guys and the rest of their depth.
0: Kawhi Leonard is so quiet, and he doesn't—he's uh, not out there selling himself like other stars. And you know, good for them—they ought to go grab the endorsement money and all that kind of stuff. But he's won titles now with two different teams. He's trying to win a title with a third different team. At what point do we stop talking about LeBron and Steph Curry and Kempo and say he's the best player in basketball? Obviously.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you're 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 having that conversation now for sure. I think it's a stronger conversation when you say, pick one player that you would start the postseason with. I mean, Kawhi, for this season, and probably the ones in the future, is going to be kind of on that load management regiment. I mean, he just is. You've got to protect him. And what we saw with Toronto last year is that if you play him 60-ish games, he is going to be sharp and ready to go in the playoffs and, and effective in the playoffs. So... You know, that, that could hurt his chances of winning MVP awards, you know, this season and beyond. But I don't know. I mean, LeBron is still LeBron, but you'd be hard-pressed to have me take anybody but Kawhi Leonard as the guy I'd begin a playoff series with. On, on both ends of the floor, he is simply elite. And he has shown that he can put a team on his back and, and carry them to a championship.
1: He is Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated with us here on The Big Show on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Chris, what do you think are responsible expectations for the Jazz this year?
2: Well, I think in that conference, depending on matchups, you know you can you can make a a case for a conference finals, um, and given an injury or two, you know on the other side, they certainly are a contender to get to the NBA finals. And, and if you get there, a guy, I think the East has some good teams at the top with milwaukee and and Philadelphia. But that parody I talked about kind of kicks in. And uh, so I mean, I think on a conservative angle, you could say, the conference finals is, is a decent projection uh, if everything comes together. Obviously, you've got to get great play out of Mike Conley all year long. I think you'll get that. Um, the way he bounced back last year and, and the way he plays his game, I think he's going to adapt well eventually into that system. And, and you've got to have everybody else playing at a high level. But I, I don't see any reason to think that Portland's better than them, that Denver's necessarily better than them. Uh, these teams might have better regular seasons than Utah, you know Denver especially because of the continuity they have there, and that's a team that's kind of built to win uh, in the regular season. But the Jazz have some guys that that can be closers. Donovan Mitchell's been that guy. I think Mike's going to take a lot of pressure off him on the perimeter. Um, I think this will be one of those years where the Jazz should be targeting at least a trip to the conference finals.
0: So, do you think the Jazz are clearly better than either the Clippers, the Lakers, or the Rockets?
2: You know, it, it's hard to say clearly right now. Um, the, the jury's out. The, the jury's out on the Rockets, though. I mean, I, I don't know. It's I, I'm not a believer in this Westbrook Harden pairing. I just I, it would, I know they're friends, but it would take for me uh, a, a pretty significant miracle to have two guys with this type of usage rate coexist on a successful team. It just it just hard to make something like that work. And they've been okay at times during the there are the first few games, but I wonder how that plays out once the kind of novelty of it all sort of wears off. The Lakers, to me, have the greatest variance of any team in the league. You know, you can make an argument, and I believe it, that the Lakers can win a championship this year. You could also make an argument, and I believe it, that the Lakers missed the playoffs this year. That's how, how wide the gap is on which way that they could go. I mean, they have to prove that they've got shooting. They've got to prove that LeBron and Frank Vogel can coexist and ways that are better than you know, LeBron and Luke Walton, or LeBron and David Platt and others. Uh, there's just a lot to, to question about the Lakers right now that we're not going to know until we see them play 25, 30 games together.
1: Chris, a little bit earlier you mentioned uh, Philadelphia and uh, Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference uh, being uh, up there at the top. Would you include Boston in that grouping as well, or are they a notch below?
2: No, they're, they're a notch below. Everybody's a notch below those two teams. Um, I think the Celtics can going to have a competitive regular season, uh, I've been around Gordon Hayward a lot the last couple of weeks. He looks physically back to being the player that he was prior to the injury. I'm not sure we'll ever ever see the caliber of player he was prior to the injury, but physically he looks strong. He's playing strong. Um, he's, he's battling in there, and it looks like his elevation has come back. I'm just not sure that, that you can come all the way back from that type of injury. But they went from having maybe the best defensive front court in the NBA and Aaron Baines and Al Horford to – probably one of the worst in, you know, Robert Williams, and his Cantor, and, you know, Grant Williams he's a decent-looking rookie. Uh, I, I, you just can't win with, with that type of, of defensive front line. And unless they make a significant deal that brings back a, a Clint Capella type who might be available, Marcus Gasol who might be available. Um, I think that's what it's going to take for Boston to, to jump into that mix.
0: I think a lot of our listeners saw Charles Barkley on TNT just uh, tell Clay Thompson right to his face you're not going to the playoffs and now they're 0-2, and they got thumped by the Thunder. Holy cow. Is this just two games and we shouldn't read into it, or Barkley's on to something? The Warriors are really going to have a problem here.
2: Yeah, I'm not ready to read into it too much just yet. Um, I think their biggest problem is figuring out how to defend. I mean, the scoring's going to come. You're not going to convince me that Steph Curry, D'Angelo Russell, Draymond Green, whoever else they put on the floor, can't score at a high level. It's just... Losing Clay, you know, people kind of overlook sometimes just how good he was defensively. I mean, he was the guy that they put on the top wing player on the other team. He did a more than credible job every single time out. Uh, they got to find a way to, to scheme around that because Russell is not that type of defender, and we know Steph is basically an average defender at best. But I just have a hard time believing that, that a group with those three guys who are still you know all-stars and all-star level players – I have a hard time seeing them fall out of the playoff mix. I mean, if they continue to defend at this level for the next couple of weeks, uh, we might have a different conversation, but I'm willing to give them a little bit of rope to let them figure out how to be a high-level defensive team before I count them out.
1: Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated with us in 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Chris, I want to get your thoughts on how the NBA handled the the China situation with Daryl Morey and basically how, how severe the after-effect's going to be.
2: Well, I mean, I, I wrote as soon as it happened that the NBA botched it and and I believe that wholeheartedly. Uh, I also wrote a couple of days later that they you know corrected themselves and they did the right thing, which I believe wholeheartedly. Um, you know they they said all they could say, which was, we will, you know, not, you know police the statements of you know people that work for the teams or work for this league. They have the same right to free speech that Greg Popovich has when he calls out Donald Trump or Steve Kerr has when he calls out Donald Trump. and we're not going to, you know, police statements like that. It's really all they could do. Now, I think that the impact is a little overrated. Um, I, I read some of the stuff about teams kind of, you know, should, you know preparing themselves for a possible drop in the salary cap. That's not the information I'm getting. I mean, one thing you have to remember, that the China money is significant, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not all that impactful. At least not when it comes to the salary cap. For, for example... The China money each year is around three hundred million dollars, from what I was told. The basketball net income for the NBA last year was seven point six billion dollars. So it's not, you know, a speed bump, but I don't think it's something that will adversely affect uh, the NBA, its salary cap structure, ownership. You know, the, the collective bargaining agreement. It's just not going to have that significant an impact on anything. So I, I, I think it's more about owners losing out and players losing out on a little bit of extra money but they're already raking in money. I mean the NBA is such a profitable league and these TV deals are so good uh, for them that they can afford to to live without the Chinese money. If it turns out, and I'm still not convinced this is the way it's gonna go, but if it turns out China completely turns its back on on the NBA, which I think is gonna be problematic for China because it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube. I mean they have exposed their fans to NBA basketball. And if you think you're gonna pivot to the Chinese Basketball Association that's a bad league. That's a very bad league with very bad basketball. So I don't know how they – I mean, China's a different place. Obviously, an authoritarian government, they can do whatever they want. But I, I think it would be tough for them to turn their back on NBA basketball entirely. kind of figure
0: they won't now because – We've seen two high-profile players in LeBron and James Harden, and we've seen two coaches who typically will talk anytime about anything go silent on this in Popovich and Kerr, and Daryl Morey took the tweet down and has been quiet ever since. So it seems like they're largely getting what they want, and if they just cut everything off, which I don't think they're going to do, but if they did that, that would free everyone up to say, well, we're not getting the money. We might as well say what we think and blast them for Hong Kong. So I wouldn't think they would do
2: that. I don't think so either, um, but it's one of those you know subjects and areas that I'm just not super versed on. I mean, I when this story first broke, I spent a lot of time doing internet research. I spoke to one of Barack Obama's deputy national security advisors to really get a grasp on exactly what was going on over there, and then the, the type of situation the NBA was wading into. You just don't know. I mean, as as kind of nutty as it would be for China to cut off basketball. Uh, again, they can do whatever they want. They, they it's, it's a different part of the world and a different lifestyle and in a government that they, they have over there, as we all know. So I don't, I don't really know how this, this all plays itself out. I think the end, But I think the bottom line is the NBA would miss that Chinese money. It certainly isn't nothing. But I don't think it's enough to significantly change the way the league does business because all their money or most of their money comes from domestic uh, resources.
1: Chris, we are so excited to have you back on board this year. It's always a pleasure. We look forward to it each and every week. Thank you so much. Anytime, guys. Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated with us here on the big show. Uh, you'll be able to hear Chris each and every Monday, and he always provides a good perspective. He's been with Gordon Hayward a lot, DJ, and thinks Gordo is, is I don't want to say back, but better. Maybe well, not.
0: Uh, Craig, Craig Boulderjack told me right after the injury, that uh, he talked to somebody, and I don't know, but is someone with a medical background, and I don't know if it was an NBA person or a college sports person or just someone who's seen the injury. But they had some; they were well versed in, in in basketball somehow. And they said um, he's out for the year. He'll be back the next year, but he won't be himself. Whatever he's going to become, you have to go out another year to see him really take off. He won't be able to take off the next year. It's, it's a long recovery. What he did was really. Really bad, significant. So yep. yeah, it was really significant, and so it, that played out. I mean, he did miss a year. He came back, but he wasn't himself. So if he's going to take off, according to the person Bowler talked to, this would be the time to really get up and get going. Well, Daddy's the Celtics always happy.
1: <laughs> the Celtics better hope so because he's basically untradeable right now, uh, at least in through, until he gets through this season. More next on the big show. DJ filling in 97.5 and twelve eighty of the zone.